in October of 1944, my, fa- my grandfather's brother, Leo Martin, was on a ship in the Sea of Japan. He was a junior lieutenant in the United States Navy, and he was awaiting orders. His group was awaiting orders about the invasion of the nation of Japan. During that time, a typhoon came, and thousands of American soldiers lost their life that day, my Uncle Leo Martin being one of those. His commanding officer said in his report that Leo Martin died going back into the ship to make sure that the men he was responsible for had gotten out safely. And he went down with his ship. Stories like that that almost every family in America can tell today of a hero in their family, a warrior who was defending his nation, defending his country or her country, and who lost their life in that line of defense. This morning I want to talk about another warrior, another type of warrior, a spiritual warrior. His name was the Apostle Paul. And he was, to me, the greatest warrior for Jesus Christ who ever lived. He surrendered his life completely to the gospel. He, considered, he, he surrendered his life completely to missions and to evangelism. And he surrendered his life to making sure that the doctrines that we read today are clear and pure and understandable and that we can take those teachings and we can use them to grow in our lives every single day. And when we surrender our lives to Christ, we begin a spiritual battle. A battle that will challenge our faithfulness. And if we persevere in that battle, we will come to a place of spiritual maturity and we will come to a place of where there will be eternal rewards that we cannot even comprehend here this morning. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, the verse verse right before the verses we're going to read here in just a minute, Paul has leaving his uh, charge and his instructions to Timothy. Timothy had been his, um, his companion in the ministry for many years. And now Paul knew that he would soon be leaving Timothy And so he gives him some instructions on things to do in the future. He gives him four things. He told him to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now in verses 6 through 8, the greatest warrior for Jesus who ever lived gives his final account of his ministry. There have been other famous final accounts by soldiers. In uh, June of, in April of 1951, General Douglas MacArthur stood before a joint session of Congress. He had been called home by President Truman. He'd been fired from his position there in Korea. He'd had a very public dispute with the president. And so now he was being allowed to come in and to meet with the joint session of Congress and to give his account for what happened there 
and to tell his side of the story. One day, my children, one of my, one of my children brought home an assignment from school, and it, the assignment was that he was supposed to write a thank you letter to President Roosevelt, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, telling President Franklin Roosevelt, thank you for saving America. Well, I sat him down and gave him a really long lesson on what really happened there and, and why we're in the mess that we are today. And I told him, you're going to write a thank you note to General MacArthur and a thank you note to uh, 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 General Patton and thank them that we're still free and safe today. I didn't mean to offend anybody, but I know that I probably did. Uh, but... General MacArthur met there with a joint session of Congress, and these are the words that he said there at the end of his speech. Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. Now let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul would do anything but fade away. His life, his love for Jesus, and his legacy exist today, this morning, as strong as they did almost 2,000 years ago. Listen to these words that he gives here, this account that he gives of his life and the end of his life. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. Paul issues his statement in the light of his impending martyrdom. He knows that before long they will come and they will lead him from this Roman prison and they will take him somewhere and they will execute him. But these are powerful words to every Christian about loving and serving Jesus Christ until the end of our days. He looks at his present situation here in verse number 6 and he speaks of two things. He talks about dying and he talks about departing. He uses sacrifice and a boat as the images of the end of his life. He says about a sacrifice, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He said these same words to the church at Philippi in chapter 2 verse 17 just five years earlier. He'd said the same exact words, used the same analogy. But something has changed now. Something in his life has changed. His situation is different. Someone has whispered into Paul's ear, you are at the near, you are at the end of your life. Nero is about to uh, take your life, and it's not going to be very long. So Paul speaks here as though the process has already started. And he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. It's an image of sacrifice that's drawn from the Old, Te Old Testament sacrificial system. There in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, during the ritual of sacrificing a lamb on an altar, they would pour wine on the bottom of the altar as a, to be a pleasant aroma to the Lord. And so Paul is using that and he's saying, I'm using this imagery to refer to the type of death that he's anticipating. Now Paul knows this. He's a Roman citizen, therefore he cannot be crucified. It's illegal for him to be crucified. So he knows that the only other form of execution would be to be beheaded. 
I think about, as I was reading this and I was studying it, I think about those Middle Eastern martyrs that we see now on television. We see the images of them being placed on their knees before their executioners. And we see them in those orange jumpsuits. And you know what I've noticed about each and every one of them? There's a sense of calm over them. There's a sense of calm that says, I know what is about to happen, but I know where I'm headed. Paul says, I'm not dreading this moment. I'm anticipating this moment. His blood would splash like wine on the ground, and in his mind, the pouring out of his life would be an offering of worship to Jesus. That should be awe-inspiring to us to know that Paul had this sense of anticipation about giving his life as a sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. When your life is over, will people be able to say they poured out their life for Christ's sake? He adds, the time of my departure has come. Now, departure is used in Greek literature for the loosing of a ship from its moorings, letting a ship go from the dock. There's an image here of Paul, and he's lifting up the anchor, and he's throwing aside the ropes, and he's joyfully sailing to a better place. Because he understands that the believer never really dies, they just depart. The believer goes on in just a departure. And Paul was longing for this ultimate final voyage. He told the Philippians in Philippians 1.23, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ. Why? Because it is far better to be with Christ. How many times did Paul dream about this situation where he would come to the end of his life and he knew that he was about to depart? And be with Jesus. His ship was about to leave. And he was ready. Are you ready this morning. For the departure that you will make someday. We can find comfort. In our final days. In thinking about these words. That Paul would say. What, what are you suffering presently? It, uh, when we depart. We know that we're better off. Consider how Paul puts present sufferings. In its place. Because he has a vision of heaven. He would say this in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. What are you carrying around with you today that you think is so heavy in this life? What affliction? What, what trouble are you taking with you that you think is so heavy in this life? Paul says that this is a momentary affliction and that it's light compared to what you will be given in glory. It's almost like this affliction that I think is so heavy. When I get to heaven and I hand it over to Jesus, it's going to be light as a feather. And He's going to hand me glory in His presence that's going to be like I'm exchanging a feather for an anvil. It's going to be that, it's going to be that wonderful. To be in his presence and to know that. He said to the Roman church, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The great London pastor, Charles Spurgeon of the 19th century, he said this about in his waiting for his departure. He said, to come to thee is to come home from exile. To come to land out of the raging storm. 
to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. Charles Spurgeon said, I'm an exile in this world, and someday when I depart from here and I go to be with God, that is when I will be at home. He knew that it's far better to be with Christ, far better than to go, to go and be with Him. And Paul talked about a fight. He said, I have fought the good fight. Paul was a warrior. Now, let's talk about Paul here at this moment, at the end of his life. Paul is, according to historians, Paul is physically almost crippled. He's almost blind. He has to have someone to write all of his letters because he's almost blind. He's beat down. He's worn down by this life physically. Now, he is anything except the image of someone we would consider a warrior. But Danny, there was something inside of him. There was something inside of him that was a warrior. There was the Holy Spirit living inside of him that caused him up until his dying moments to speak about Jesus Christ to everyone he would meet no matter their walk of life. You consider the Apostle Paul standing before the governor, Felix, and not only just st not standing there and giving a defense, trying to, to win uh, his life, but telling Felix that he must accept, he must go the same way that he had gone, only through Jesus Christ. Then he leaves and goes to see King Agrippa, and he tells the king the same exact thing. Listen, we live in a world where we're afraid to talk to our family about our faith. Paul would talk to governors and he would talk to kings about his faith. He was a warrior. Thirty years have passed since Christ called him on the Damascus Road. And on that occasion when he was called in Acts 9.16, he was told, you're going to have to suffer for Christ's name. And man, did he ever. But what did he see it as? He saw it as a privilege. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse number 23. He said, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Did that sound like a privilege to you? Paul thought it was a privilege. Paul thought it was a privilege to be able to serve the Lord this way. And what's more, Paul would go on to say that he's fighting against something that he can't even see. He writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world, 
powers of this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Do you understand that? Do you get that? You can't see what you're fighting against. But let me tell you it's there. Let me tell you it's there. You're fighting against the powers of darkness, the spiritual powers of darkness in this world. Well, that doesn't make sense to me, Michael. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, let me make some sense of it to you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said the enemy has come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it means in, in my context just here in the last two weeks of counseling with people, of being with people all day long, some days six and seven hours a day sitting and counseling with people and talking to people and hearing them tell me about what's going on in their life. The enemy is wanting to kill, steal, and destroy you. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to steal the joy that you have. And he ultimately wants to, to tear apart everything in your life. And here's what I see in our community spiritually that's going on right now. There is an attack on our young people like you have no idea what is going on. The enemy wants to take your children and grandchildren and he wants to destroy their lives before they ever have an opportunity to begin service for the Lord. That's exactly what he wants to do. There is an, there is an epidemic in this, in this city. There is an epidemic in this city of spiritual darkness. And most of the spiritual darkness that comes in this city comes from the abuse of drugs in, in our community. And I have prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And here's what the, I, I want so much to do something spiritually about it. And here's what the Lord showed me in the last couple of weeks of praying about this thing. This is what the Lord showed me. I have a prayer life that is good enough to point the problem out, but right now I don't have a prayer life that is good enough to go out here and fight it. Now that's your pastor talking. The Lord told me that. But here's what I want you to know. I have, I have promised in my heart that I'm going to spend as much time as it takes praying and getting, getting to the place to where I'm able to go and, and to fight against what is happening in this community. I'm one person. It's going to take every one of us, every one of us saying in our hearts, I'm going to go and do the same thing. There's a spiritual darkness in this community. I ride a, a certain way to work every morning. I ride a certain way to work. And there are people that I see sitting on their porches at 7 o'clock in the morning with already, I see the beer bottles and beer cans where they're already, I don't know if they're finishing up the night before or if they're starting the day, but either way, we live in a spiritually dark place. And we have got to determine in our hearts whether or not we just want to come to church on Sunday and sit here and stare back at me and look at me and say, well, I wish you would hurry up. More than that, some of you are sitting here right now saying, God will be glad when he moves on somewhere else. 
But I want to tell you something. Whether I'm here or whether uh, Charles Stanley comes here, there is a spiritual problem in this community and you have the obligation to go and address it. Every single one of us are called. Every single one of us are called because our children and grandchildren's lives are at stake. There is a grip in this community. There is a grip. The drugs in this community have a, grip, have a spirit. It's not, just, it's not just an addiction. It's a spiritual. It's a spiritual grip. A dark spiritual grip that it has on our community. And it is up, it's up to us to begin to pray how we're going to fight it. Now, let me, let me warn you. When you decide to get in this fight, you better be prepared for a fight. You better be prepared for a fight. But we've got to do it. And not just our church, but, but every other church in our community. We have got to come together and fight this spiritually. Has to happen. Has to happen. Paul said, not only do we, not only are we fighting these things, but Jesus said, they're here to kill, steal, and destroy you think about this war-torn apostle writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. It's a moving scene. You think about a soldier in a trench in World War I in France knowing that at any moment he could die and he's writing a letter home to his family. Or a soldier in a foxhole um, in Normandy after he stormed the beach writing a letter home describing how, what the carnage that he's witnessed. And Paul here is telling, he's telling Timothy, I want you to endure hardship. The man who endured more hardship than anyone has ever endured is telling Timothy, I want you to do the same thing that I've done. He goes on and says, I finished the race. He didn't say he won the race, he said he finished the race. In Acts 20, 24, he told the Ephesian elders that his goal was to finish his course. He wanted to be triumphant. And he was. It's a sad thing, but people quit the race. People drop out of the race. For, for whatever reason, for, for whatever ever comes along, people drop out of the race. But we all have a race to run. The author of Hebrews tells us to run with endurance the race that lies before us. Run faithfully by remembering those who have gone before us. By throwing off anything that keeps us from faithfulness and keeping our eyes on Jesus, we simply keep running toward Jesus. And he talks about the faith that he has. He says, I have kept the faith. He's emphasizing his role as a steward of sound doctrine. He was a guardian of the gospel. He was the main apostle. And in that role, it was his obligation and job to give us the doctrines that we have today. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he told Timothy to hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. 1 Timothy 6.20, he said, guard what has been entrusted to you. Paul held on to the truth and he passed it on to Timothy and others. Now, this is why it was so important to Paul that Timothy carry on 
good teaching, sound teaching, and sound doctrine. Because Paul had developed these doctrines in the, trench, in the trenches. He didn't develop these doctrines sitting in a nice, quiet church office with a secretary who could guard him from, from anybody interrupting him or anything. He developed these doctrines out on the road and out in churches that were hostile to him. And he told Timothy, it has come at such an expense that I want to make sure that you continue it. Now, I feel the same way. It took me years of sitting with a Bible and reading that Bible and studying that Bible and cross-referencing that Bible to come to the doctrine that I believe in today. And I would not lay that down for anyone or anything. When I go to a meeting with ministers from other denominations, I go with the mindset, I'm meeting with these men, and I, I want to cooperate with them because we all share a belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died, was buried and resurrected, and that's, that's a, the, the basis of all of our beliefs. But when I go to a meeting, and a man at that meeting says, we need to all lay our doctrine down at the door, I know I'm in the wrong place. I know I'm in the wrong place, because laying my doctrine down at the door is a doctrine in itself. And normally, what, that, what those people try to do is to push a false doctrine on me while I'm there. It is important that you know and understand the Bible. And it is more important today than at any other time because of the access that we have to thousands of television stations, the access that we have to the internet and podcasts and all these different things. There is the opportunity for us to sit and get mesmerized by someone who's teaching something that goes completely opposite of what Scripture teaches. Over the next two weeks, I would pray that you would spend time, I would pray that you would spend time praying for the upcoming Southern Baptist Convention that will happen beginning June 13th and 14th. Because we are at a place right now as a denomination to where there are a group of people who want to push a false doctrine into us and push their leaders ahead in our denomination. And we're at a make or break point. And you need to know, you need to know what you believe. Because sound doctrine is the wall that Satan wants to tear down in the battle for the church. What we believe and what we hold to and how we can defend that is what he wants to tear down. And here's the sad truth of it. We are a biblically illiterate society in America. We don't know Scripture. And it is, at, it is at the detriment of our churches. I beg you to pick up your Bible every day and read it and know it and understand what's in it. We have to. And then we see in verse number 8, there's a fanfare. Verse number 8, Paul says this, He's talked about his fight. He's talked about his finish. He's talked about his faith. 
And now he says this, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, a description is given of the believer will stand someday at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ, the righteous judge. You see, Christ, the righteous judge, had already given Paul his righteousness when he believed. And now Paul awaits a crown of righteousness that is the ultimate permanent state of righteousness. Nero is the most powerful man on the earth at this time. And Nero has declared, I I want to send someone down. I want to take the Apostle Paul outside the city. And I want to take his life because he won't be quiet about this superstitious religion that he believes in. So I'm going to take their greatest leader. I'm going to take him and I'm going to execute him. And I will finally put a stop to this. The people will praise Nero because Nero ended this superstition. He didn't do a good job, did he? Because we're sitting here this morning and we're not worried about the rulers of this earth. I'm not concerned about who the president is. I'm not concerned about who the prime minister is. I'm not concerned about who the governor is because I serve Christ, the righteous judge. And Christ, the righteous judge, is about to declare Paul righteous. And Paul says, not only to me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. Now let me give you a, let me give you a, a litmus test here. For whether or not you really know Christ as Savior. Whether or not you really have been born again. Here's a sure evidence of saving faith. Is when your heart is set on Christ. And when you hear a sermon like this, and you hear about the return of Jesus Christ, it excites you in your heart because you know that you are one of those people that He's coming back for. You see, the unbeliever dreads the return of Jesus Christ, but as a believer, we long for it. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, He Paul says, Jesus is our blessed hope. You're sitting here this morning, and and you've heard this testimony of Paul, and you know that Jesus is returning. You know that someday you're going to pass away from this life, and you know that you're going to stand in His presence, and that excites you, I can guarantee you, you know Jesus, and you're born again. But if you hear those words... And it begins to creep into your heart, and, and you, you're not really, you'd rather that that happens sometime a whole lot later because you just don't know. Then there's something you need to get right with, with God about. There's something that you need to make right. There's an opportunity there for you at that moment to say, I want to know for sure that heaven is my home, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and that when I pass from this life, I will also receive the same reward that the Apostle Paul received. And that's what matters more than anything here this morning. That is the most important thing, the most important, that's the most important thing you have going on today. 
Not whether you'll have baked beans or potato salad with lunch, but whether or not you know Jesus. Do you know? Are you sure? At the end of your life, could someone look at these verses here, 6 through 8, and say, hey, this person lived this life like, like Paul did. They fought a good fight. They kept the faith. They finished the race. And they're gone home now to receive their eternal reward. Do you know that? It's, it's the most important thing that you have going on. Do not neglect this moment and this opportunity. If you know that for certain this morning, I want you to concentrate on praying for those who don't. And I want you to concentrate on praying that they will allow to set aside pride, to set aside everything that's going on, and to come to know Jesus as their Savior this morning. Everyone praying that Micah coming this morning to lead us in a time of reflection and invitation. Father, we come to a serious, sober moment. But men like the Apostle Paul didn't give their whole life and dedicate their whole life to the ministry and to the gospel and dig in the trenches and go where other people wouldn't go for me to stand here today and say there's any other way other than Jesus. Father, this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit would overcome the obstacles in this room and point people to Jesus. The love that He has, the life that He has for them, and the ministry that He has for them to be a part of. There may be those who are sitting here this morning who just need to praise You for what You've done in their lives. May they take this opportunity during this time to do so. There may be those sitting here this morning who need to pray for family, for loved ones, who are spiritually struggling and who are in a dark place and they need rescuing. May we have the courage to be bold and to stand. And may we pray, dear God, that you give us what it takes to go and to fight what is happening here in this community. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Myself and Seth are standing.